thought that video brought out so many good points. Throw some numbers out there. And, uh, you know, there's just so many other statistics that I could have thrown out at you this morning. But one statistic that I showed or that I found, too, is uh, Christians. We make up 33% of the world's population. 33% of the entire world. We make up 33% of the population. But 53% of the annual income that the entire world makes are made by Christians. 53% of the annual income is made by Christians. 98% of that income is spent on ourselves. 98% of 53% is spent on ourselves. You know, we've been called to be the hands and feet of God. He has told us to go. He has told us to make disciples. He's told us to teach. He's told us to preach. And yet we still have so many unreached people out there in the world today. I think the good news and the bad news about mission work is We've been doing mission work for a very long time as a church as a whole, the big church. We've been doing mission work. And yet we still haven't got to everybody. And most likely we will never get to everybody. But that's the beautiful part about it is there's always something to do. There's always people that we can talk to. There's always someone that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be in Romans 10, verses 12 to 15. Romans 10, 12 to 15, and I'm going to go ahead and read that for you. It says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just we come to you right now, Lord. Lord we, just, uh, we come to you um, this morning, Lord, asking for answers. Lord, asking you to change our hearts, asking you to change our priorities, Lord. This morning, Lord, I pray that as we leave here and that as we listen to this message that you have given us out of Romans 10, Lord, I pray that we can understand your heart for the lost, your heart for the unreached. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, after hearing this message, Lord, I pray that we can start to see people the way you see people. That we can start to love people the way you love people. And Lord, that we can make missions our mission in life. Lord, I pray right now that you empty me of myself. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Father, to deliver this message from you and not of me. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. I've broke it down, this verse, into three different sections, as you can tell. I've got the goal, the problem, and the solution. And when I read these verses, I, I, I 
found that this is kind of how Paul sets it up. He talks about the goal, and that's what we're going to talk about first, and we're going to talk about verses 12 and 13. So if you look at your Bible, when you look at your scripture, I want you to look at verse 12. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, why would Paul have to start off this message by saying there's no distinction between Jew and Greek? Basically, what Paul is saying here is, I don't care if you're a Jew, I don't care if you're a Greek, you can be saved by the saving power of Christ. So how does that apply to us today? Because many of us in here today are what we would call Gentiles. Okay, we are Gentiles. And what he says, if you go back to what I talked about in our call to worship, how he says the Jews had rejected this, so then he was called to be the light for the Gentiles, to proclaim the name of Christ to the ends of the earth. Now, how, why, why is Paul saying this? Paul is saying this by starting off by saying there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Basically saying, I don't care who you are. You deserve to hear the power. You deserve to hear the gospel. You deserve to hear what Christ has done for you. God has not called a specific people group to salvation. We need to understand that this morning. God has not called just Mennonites to be called to salvation. God has not called white Americans to salvation. He has not just called black Americans to salvation. He has called all people groups of all sorts of backgrounds, of all sorts of different distinguishes, distinctions between each people group. He has called them all. And we saw on there how many people groups. There was over 6,000 people groups in this world today. And he has called each and every one of them to the salvation of Christ. I wrote down here, anyone that we come into contact with on a daily basis, everyone that we come into contact with is free game for the gospel. Every single person, any cultural background, okay? We, have a lot, we are in a very small town area, right? But in this small town area, we have a lot of diversity. Seven miles down the road, we have a lot of diversity in the town of Washington. We have a lot of diversity sitting in here today. And what is very important is that we don't just limit the gospel to certain people. He says, any specific religious beliefs, just because somebody believes another religion doesn't mean that you can't tell them about Christ. We know people all the time that may be in, in, in religions such as, uh, as, a, as an Islamic religion. They may be in a Buddhist religion. They may be in, you know, an, they may be an atheist. They deserve to hear the power of Christ. And we'll get to this in a second, but the problem with missions today with Christians is Christians are telling other Christians about the gospel. That's what we're doing. We're, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. But that's what we need to be doing. No matter what religious belief they are, they can hear the gospel. They can still be changed by the gospel. They can be in any walk of life. Any walk of life. Okay, I spoke at a, a youth retreat here uh, Wednesday night. We had Fields of Faith. I spoke to kids. There were kids there that were anywhere from 12 years old to 18 years old. And sometimes we can look at kids and we can say, you know what, you, you know, you're not old enough yet. And my, my theme verse for that was 1 Timothy 4.12 that says, let no one despise you for your youth. Okay, we're no, Kids don't have to get to a certain walk in their life, a certain point in their life to say, okay, now that you've experienced this, now that you're old enough, now we're going to deliver the message of Christ to you. I know kids, I've worked camps before, I know kids that have accepted Christ at the age of seven. 
You guys have kids here today that have accepted Christ at a very young age. I know people that have accepted Christ on their deathbed. Any walk of life, any walk of life, they are open to the gospel. And this one right here, this particular thing that we can kind of put, you know, put something, we can kind of put an X on these people that they don't need to hear the gospel, is people need to hear the gospel no matter what sin they have committed, no matter what sin that they're dealing with. There's no person in here that has removed themselves so far from God that they cannot experience the love of Christ. No sin can separate them so much that they cannot be saved. Amen? So we need to stop acting like, well, because this person has murdered somebody, that they cannot receive the power of the gospel. Or because this person here has committed sexual sins beyond our belief, that they cannot accept the power of the gospel. Okay? We have to understand that Anyone, no matter what sins they've committed, can accept the power of the gospel. Because if this wasn't true, if this wasn't true, then all of us could not accept the power of the gospel. Because sin is sin. Sin is a sin is a sin in God's eyes. So if you're saying that any particular sin, they can't ever become, they can't ever join heaven because they've done this particular sin, then what you're saying is you can't join heaven because you have sinned as well. But the scriptures clearly tell us that while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. So we need to show that love to anybody with any particular sin that they're struggling with. I wrote here, it says, we must understand. We must understand that we may be different than some other believer. We may be different than other people. But faith, faith can always be the common denominator. Faith can always be the common denominator. I was thinking about this, and when I was writing common denominator, I thought, okay, Josh, you know, people use it all the time, but what are you talking about? You know, I'm not a math teacher, I'm a PE teacher, but I do know a little bit. You got fractions, okay? And in order to add fractions, multi, you know, in order to add fractions, you have to have common denominators. You have to have the same bottom numbers before you can add them together. Teachers, check me. If I'm completely wrong, please shout out. Been a while. Just like those fractions, they may be different on top, but because they have the same base, they can be added together. So just like people, think of us as fractions, okay? We may be different on top. We may be in different stages of our lives. We may be uh, just, we may think this and they may think this, or our skin color may be this and their skin color may be this. We may live in this area, they live in this area. We may be part of this family and they're part of this family, They may have grown up in a Mennonite church, and they may have not grown up in a Mennonite church. But you look at that bottom number, and we see, listen, I know that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, and I have my faith in Christ. Awesome. I have the same thing. Boom. Common denominators. They can be added together. They can be brothers and sisters in Christ because of that common denominator. Verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love how Paul phrases this. I love how Paul phrases this. And the reason why I love the way he phrases this is because if you notice, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice the simplicity in that verse. Notice the simplicity. It's so simple. 
So simple, yet at the same time, it is the most powerful words ever. So simple, yet so powerful. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our goal in life is to, live, to deliver this simple yet powerful message to everyone that we come into contact with. Everyone we come, come into contact with, we have to tell them, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you're at in life. If you believe in your heart and you can proclaim and call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But what happens too many times is we do one of three things. We do one of three things with this simple gospel message. One of three things. One, we overcomplicate the gospel and try to add to it. We overcomplicate the gospel and we try to add to it. Those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved and you have to do these things as well. Call in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Also, you have to do this. You know, it's not as simple as just accepting Christ. It's not, it's, not, it's not as simple as that. There's other things that you have to do in order to get into heaven. And what happens is we start putting these regulations and rules on Christianity, and we start saying, you have to do this, 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 and this, and this. Now, obviously, that comes later. You, when you accept the saving power of Christ, when you accept that initially, then their lives start to mold that. Their, their lives start to mold exactly how a Christian is supposed to live. But that initial salvation, that initial heart change is the saving power. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says this. This is why we don't have to add to the gospel, add to the word of God. It says, for the word of the God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the hearts, or discerning the thoughts and the intention of the heart. We don't have to add anything to the word of God. We don't have to, okay? This is a double-edged sword that can pierce through anything. So what our job is, is to deliver the scriptures and get out of the way. Deliver the scriptures and get out of the way. Stop getting in the way. Stop trying to add Josh's version of the Bible. Stop trying to add your version of the Bible. You deliver God's version, and it will pierce the hearts of those who call on his name. The second thing we do is we can do the opposite. We can water it down. We can water it down to the point where it has lost power. I've seen people water the gospel down. Hey, Today, if you guys come forward and you just repeat this prayer with me today, you're saved. You just say this prayer. All you got to do is pray a prayer. All you got to do is pray a prayer. That's not true. That's not true. Is there heart change in the prayer? What if your motives of coming up here are not to really accept Christ and you say the prayer? I, I can't judge salvation. I can't judge people's hearts. I heard a quote one time from a from a, a, a Francis Chan quoted a pastor one time where this guy got done preaching uh, an awesome message. He got done preaching just a, a phenomenal message, and he had an altar call at the end. And I mean, two thousand people were coming forward, and they were and they were praying, and, and they were and they were they're giving their lives to the Lord, and all this stuff. And uh, somebody came up to him afterwards, and they said, "How many people? How many people got saved tonight?" 
many people got saved? And he said, come back to me in about six months, and we'll see. We'll see. Okay, true heart change. We can't give people these, this false security that, well, because you go to church, because you prayed this prayer, because you, because you, you know, did all these things, that you are saved. Okay? It's more than that. It's more than that. It's a complete heart change. It's making God the Lord and Savior of your life. He rules over you. You live the way he wants you to live. You have a complete heart change. Complete heart change. And then the third thing we do that hinders this message is we don't say anything at all. We don't say anything at all. And we'll get into this word, this term that David Platt uses called privatized Christianity. Privatized Christianity. But our goal is to ultimately make verses 12 and 13 happen in our lives in every moment that is presented to us. Every moment that is presented to us. We need to find somebody, no matter who they are, background, skin color, beliefs, anything. We need to find those people and we need to tell them that for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 13, 47. Acts 13, 47. It's our call to worship this morning. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That is our calling. That is our calling. We have been made lights to the Gentiles so that we can bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now, that's our ultimate goal. Our goal is to get the word of God out there. To get the gospel out there to people. Now, it sounded pretty simple. That's our goal. Now, why doesn't it happen? Why doesn't it happen? That's the problem. That's the problem. Okay? And this is going to be verses 14 and a little bit of 15. This is what I call Paul's questions. Paul's questions. Paul starts asking questions. He says, how then will they call on him who have, they have not believed? How then will they call on him who they have not believed? There must be belief that Christ can save someone. You must believe that Christ can take your life and that he can save you and get you into heaven. You must believe that. You must believe in what Christ did on the cross. You must believe that your sins are paid for. You must believe you must believe that he is the Lord and Savior of your life. If you don't believe it, what's the point of it? Hebrews 11.6 Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That he rewards those who seek him. And then Romans 10.9, just a little bit before we get into the uh, scriptures that we're going in through right now. Romans 10.9 because, says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the confession and the belief. The confession and the belief. Now, how can we help someone believe? How can we help someone believe? I wrote down four Ways that we can help someone believe. Four ways. One, turn them to Scripture. Turn them to Scripture. I know that that sounds like the answer to every single question that anybody ever asks. You know, we always made jokes at, 
at Bow Memory, you know, if I'm up front and I ask you a question, you know, 95% of the time you can say God, Jesus, Bible, or church, and it's going to be the right answer. All right? So, but here, if we turn somebody to the scriptures, let God's word start using that double-edged sword to pierce the hearts of the people that read it. The second way, we could show them evidence in creation. Okay, we could, I know that we have people out there that believe other things about how the world was created, but we could start using creation to show how God exists, how God created the world. Okay, answers in Genesis. They came here and they showed stuff that blew my mind. If you've ever watched any of Louis Giglio's stuff, he shows creation. He talks about the, you know, he talks about the galaxies and, and, and even different parts of your body that are just so evident that Christ was in, that God was involved in every single part of that. So showing them evidence in creation. Showing them evidence in your life. Showing them evidence in your life. Show them where you started at before God grabbed you. Show them where you started and show them where God has brought you. Show them what he has done in your life. Show them how he has changed your path. And four, after you've done those three steps, step away and let God do the rest. We can't change somebody's heart. We don't have the power to do it. I think all of us in here right now have somebody in our lives that we have been preaching to and preaching to and preaching to and preaching to and trying to get them to the point where they understand the, the, what was done on the cross and they understand that they need Christ in their lives and, and, we, and we push and we push and we, we, we just get so discouraged because they haven't got it yet and we, just, we see the ways that they're living and we just know that it's not what Christ wants for them and we, we just sit there and we're like, man, come on, do you not get it? And we take the Bible and we beat them across the head with it and we're like, look at this stuff. What we ultimately need to do is just step out of the way and pray that God eventually gets into their hearts and that God pierces them with that double-edged sword and he reveals himself to them so that he can show them and make them believe. We can help, but we can't ultimately make somebody believe in Christ. It's got to be their decision. It's got to be God working through them. Next question he says is, how can we expect an unbeliever to believe in God? Oh, this is sorry, same one. How can we expect an unbeliever to believe in God if there is doubt or hesitation in us? Doubt or hesitation in us. We have to be fully in. We have to be fully committed to God before we can start going out and making disciples. We have to be fully committed. We have to say, you know what? This is the way I'm living. This is the reason why I wake up in the morning. This is the reason why I love people. And because of this reason, this is the reason why I'm going to go tell them about Christ. That should be the motivating power behind everything that you do when it comes to missions. We must be walking evidence of God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love every single day. Every single day, we must be evidence of God's grace, mercy, and love. If we're not, why would people ever want to turn to Christianity? Why would people ever want to turn to Christianity if we are not just fully all in about it? We have to get excited about it before we can expect other people to get excited about it. We have to be in love with God before we can expect other people to be in love with God. 
Second question Paul asks is, how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Many of us in here today have heard the famous quote, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. Okay? We've all heard that quote before. Okay? St. Francis of Assisi quoted that. Preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. Well, I went to a conference many years ago that talked about this particular quote. And while the actions of which we live out our gospel, while we live out the gospel in our lives, why our actions are very important, our actions never really show somebody how to be saved. Because that's us. That's us working. That's us. They're watching us. And while our actions are very important, because our actions back up our words in every aspect of our life, it is more important to speak the gospel than to live it out. Okay, we can, live our, we can live our lives all the time, and people can sit there, and they can look at us, and they can say, something's different about them. Man, I really like how they act. I really like that they go to church on Sundays. I really like all this stuff. And then they come to us, and they say, man, how, what? You just, I want what you got. I want what you got. And then what are we supposed to do? Act out something nice? No, we have to speak. We have to tell them, okay, I'll tell you why this is the reason I act like this. I'll tell you why this is the reason why I do these things. I'll tell you why this is the reason why I don't watch these movies or listen to this music or talk that way. I do that because I have been saved by the cross. And we speak it out. People must know the reason why we live the way we live. Speaking the gospel is what saves People, because we're speaking God's word, double-edged sword, piercing the hearts. Mark 16, 15 says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Proclaim the gospel. Matthew 28, 20, the great commission. The last part says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Teaching them. To teach, you have to speak. Teaching them. We need to understand that to be able to speak the gospel does not require all sorts of head knowledge. It doesn't. It just requires love, obedience, a willingness to speak through God. Letting God grab a hold of you and speak. I tell this story all the time, and I won't mention his name, but we were at a, a, a campfire setting at Camp Ileana. And we were sitting there, and we had a bunch of kids there, and they were kind of having a moment by the campfire where they're just praying and, you know, just kind of, you know, self-examination of their hearts and, you know, just, just, just really just thinking about stuff. And during this time, you know, kind of the people that are running the camp, we're kind of just, we're just kind of just hanging back, you know, waiting for them to approach us. Or, you know, if we feel like we need to go pray with somebody, we'll go pray with somebody. And I remember... I was sitting over here talking to one of, my, one of my buddies, and I could see my other friend over here, and there was a kid kind of just praying on a little bench over there, and this, my buddy kept, like, looking at him and, you know, kind of getting real fidgety and was just really kind of just nervous a little bit. And all of a sudden, he came up to me, and he goes, Josh. He goes, you see that kid over there? I said, yeah. He goes, I, think some, I, I feel like somebody needs to go pray for him. I said, okay. He goes, you want to go do it? 
I go, why? He goes, well, you're, you're good with that kind of stuff. You can pray. You can, you can talk well. I said, listen, God is placing that kid on your heart for a reason. That kid doesn't need me to go over there and spout off fancy words or fancy prayers. And I don't have any kind of special power that you don't have. And I know this guy very, 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 very well. I wouldn't do this to anybody. And I said, get your butt over there and go pray for him. And I pushed him. And he went over there. And he went over there and prayed for him. They talked for an hour. Talked for an hour. Had very similar life stories. They battled the same sins. They've walked through the same stages of life. This kid learned more from my friend, who was just a basic average Joe, than he would have learned from me, who's a pastor. You see, God calls people all the time. He doesn't care if you know, you know, your theology is just beyond anything we can think of. He doesn't care. All he cares about is that when he calls upon you, he tells you, I will equip you. And all he requires for us to do is go. That's all he requires for us to do is go. Peter and John, I did a sermon on this back in Acts chapter 2. He talks about how Peter was proclaiming the word of God to everybody. And then he had to go forth in front of the government officials. And he had to talk in front of them. And Peter was not very, he was pretty scared. He didn't know what he was going to say. But Christ had promised them that if they proclaimed the gospel, then whenever the time came, whenever the time came, he would give them the words to say. And you read in there, and whenever Peter gets approached by the government officials about his preaching in the temple, what happens is Peter just starts speaking. And it's not him. It's of God. And Peter says exactly what he's supposed to say. That is so true with us today. We don't need to be pastors. We don't need to be elders. We don't need to be Bible scholars. We just have to understand the gospel and go to people with the motives of wanting to change their lives. With the motives of wanting to love them. And God will do amazing, wonderful works through you. The next question he says is, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Everyone in this room today... I'm sorry if you came in here thinking that you weren't called to be a missionary, but I I hate to break it to you, you are. You are. Every single one of us has a call to the mission field in some capacity or another. Every day when you wake up, God has a mission for you. He has placed a person in your life that day that you could speak to. And if you're like me, as soon as I heard that in my own voice, say God has placed somebody in your life every day to speak to, I'm sitting here thinking... Oh, my word, I have missed so many opportunities. How many days have I gone without ever proclaiming the gospel to anybody? And God has placed somebody in your life every single day that you could talk to. But some of us have been called to missions in foreign places. Some of us have been called overseas. Some of us have been called out of Montgomery, Indiana. Some of us have been called to speak to the unreached. Speak to the people that have never heard the gospel before. And my question is, these people that are called out, that are called to be sent, okay? Those people that are called to go forth and go reach the people that are unreached, are we as the church? And this is where if you don't have your steel-toed boots on, you need to get them on. Because it, 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 it really got me really got me. 
Are we as a church doing everything possible that we can to help the sent people? Are we doing everything possible to help the sent people? Are we praying daily for the people that are sent? Do we make it a priority that every day we say a prayer for our beloved brother and sister, Chris and Rose, and their family, that they are being safe, that God is working through them, and that God is sending opportunities to them all the time? Are we doing that? Are we praying for the youth when the youth are on their mission trips to Ohio, the Dominican, Mexico, Guatemala, wherever they're going? Are we praying for them daily? Have we prayed for the missionaries that we have sent out of this church? Desperately prayed on our knees to God, praying that they keep them safe and praying that they get opportunities. Are we helping them financially? Are we helping them financially? I know exactly what you guys are thinking. Well, yes, certainly. We give a ton of money to Christian Rose. I donate tons of money to other mission organizations. But here's the importance of this. We have to understand, and raise your hand if you've ever been on a mission trip out of the country. In here, anybody, anybody. It's no vacation. It's not. It's no vacation. I can tell you right now, when I would go to build the Casas houses, it's no vacation. I've ran into things that have been awful, you know, stucco in a house while people are hammering on the inside. You put it up, falls off. I've been in places where the concrete truck couldn't get up the hill, so they had they had told Eric Yoder that he's going to have to wheelbarrow the concrete up the hill. I've been to places before where we've had to hand mix our concrete. I've been to places before that it has been so hot and they don't let you wear shorts because you'll get cut, so you have to wear jeans every day. I have been on mission trips where I've had to deal with people like Terry Lonegar. Okay, these are no vacations. These, these are working jobs. People go there, okay? I know there's a group going to Africa and they're planning on building a... Gabe, what are you guys building there? An orphanage. I mean, you just don't walk there and one day you just snap your fingers and an orphanage goes up. It's going to take work. So these people are going and they're giving their time, they're giving their efforts, and they're doing all of this in order to build the kingdom of God. And what happens a lot of times, this is where I'm really going to catch a lot of grief, but I need to say it. Financially, whenever these opportunities come up and people want to go do these things, what happens? You guys need to put on a a fundraiser. If I'm going to give you money, I need some turkey. Okay, you guys need to um, do this. If If I'm going to give you guys money, then you need to auction off your youth so they can come and help me for a little bit so I can pay. I can feel the glares right now. Why? 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 
There are people in here that I understand physically cannot go on overseas missions. I understand that there are people in here that their jobs just really don't allow them to leave and go on overseas missions. I understand that there are people in here that have families that just don't allow them to go on overseas missions. But guess what? You can be a part of the mission just as much as I can. The people that are building the houses, you can be just a part of that mission as they can, financially, through prayer. What's the other reason I got down here? Calling out gifts. Calling out gifts in other people, okay? We have people in this church that I can look at right now, and I can look at them, and I can say, you're a missionary. You're called to missions. You're called to it, okay? Here's the deal. I probably wouldn't go up to them and say that just right out of the way. You're called to missionaries. You're called to China, especially with their parents around because they're like, shh, tell my kid they're going to China. But that's our job. That's our job as a church body is to see the qualities, see the gifts of people that are called to missionaries, okay? I'm going to do it right now. I see a guy right there, Matt Stahl. That guy loves mission trips, He loves them. He has a gift for it. I've seen him in the mission field. I've seen his heart for it. He's even done missions around here. Matt Stahl has a lot of stuff coming up that he's going to be doing for missions. And the thing is, it's not a big deal to Matt because Matt loves doing it. Zach Graber is another guy that's not here. Okay, these these kids are called to missions and yet we just deny that call almost and we don't send them. Okay, we've had many people here that have been mission workers that have just been called and they love to do it. But are we doing everything that we possibly can to send them out? What are our motives behind sending missionaries out? And then it goes on to say, I ask, who are the people that are sent? Who are the people that are sent? We must understand that God works in ways that are beyond any ways that we can work. Amen? God works in ways Far beyond anything we can think. So my question is to you right now, there are people sitting in this room today that think they're not called to missionaries. They're not not called to be missionaries. There are people sitting in here right now that think, you know what, I'm really not called to go to China. I'm really not called to go to Africa. I'm really not called to go to Guatemala or the Dominican. You may be right. You may be right. But guess what? You also may be wrong. God could easily put on your heart that you are called to the mission field. And are we not damaging the mission field when we deny that calling? Are we not denying that that mission work that we could be doing if we say no? Josh, there's plenty of mission stuff that can be done around here. Amen. There is. There is. And people are called to those missions as well. And people turn down those missions just as much as they do overseas missions. My thing to you is that everybody sitting in here is qualified and called to the mission field. So my question, my plea to you right now is don't deny it. Don't say no. Don't say no. He's calling us every day, different capacities, overseas, in your office at work. He's calling you to a mission field. All of us. We're denying the call. We're denying the call. What's the solution? What's the solution to this problem? Well, he brings it up. He says, How beautiful are the feet that preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet that preach 
the good news. I want to look at the word beautiful. I want to look at the word beautiful for a second. The word beautiful, this is not a, this is not a word that we use to describe a lot of things. Okay? If you think of the word beautiful, we, we hold that word beautiful tightly, and we only use it for things that hold, a lot of different, that hold importance to us. Okay? The word beautiful, we hold to things that maybe take our breath away. We hold the word beautiful to things that have importance to us. And we take the word beautiful to things that we don't see very often. That we don't see very often. We may use the word beautiful to our spouses, our children. You may use the word beautiful if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon. You may use the word beautiful if you've ever seen the sunset. It's, it's things that you don't see very often that you use the word beautiful for. So when Paul uses this word, I, I don't think it's an accident that he uses the word beautiful. I think he's emphasizing the awesomeness of the feet of the people that are doing the mission work, but also using it as the rarity of people that are doing mission work. It's amazing the work that they're doing, but it's such a rarity that it just makes it so beautiful that they're going out and doing the things that they are to do. Do we treat and look at these people the same way that Paul did? Here's some questions for you. Is the spread of the gospel throughout the nations a priority in your life? Is the the gospel going out to all of the people in the world a priority in your life? Here's some questions to make you think, that make you help you answer. Number one, we talked about it. Are you praying for unreached people and lost people every day? We have countries that literally have never heard of the gospel, never heard of it. They've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of God. They don't know. They don't know. They've never heard of it. Are we praying for those people? Are you currently supporting a missionary or mission organization that furthers this cause? Does it hurt you so bad that there are people that have never heard the gospel that you want to do everything that you can to help the people that are going out that way? Are you constantly doing your part of the ripple effect of the gospel so eventually it may spread to those people? You have no idea who you're telling the gospel to. You don't know what God's going to be doing in their life. You may tell somebody at your workplace about the gospel of Christ, and it seriously may take such an effect on their lives that they quit their job and they move to Africa, and they live in those uh, colonies or tribes or whatever are out there that have never heard about it. You don't know. But are you doing your part to spread that ripple effect of the gospel where you tell this person, they tell this person, they tell this person, and then it goes on and on and on and eventually gets to the reached people? If you're answering no to these questions, I think it's an important thing to really check your heart. To really check your heart. If it doesn't hurt you that there are people that don't know the gospel out there, if it doesn't emotionally just tug at your heart, you need to think about some things. David Platt, talking about the local church and the spread of the gospel, once said this. This is a loaded quote. Very loaded quote. One reason why a church might not be making disciples, might not be spreading the gospel, is maybe the people in that church aren't really disciples. One reason a church might not be making disciples is maybe the people in that church aren't really disciples. Francis Chan put it, we're, we're going through the book Multiply, and I, I recommend going through that. It, it puts in so much perspective of what the gospel means and the church and how the church is supposed to be going out. And He talks about it in there. He's like, as a pastor, 
in my church, I look out and, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling these people to go spread the gospel. I'm telling them to go make disciples. But why? I, I can't even tell them to go make disciples because them themselves aren't disciples. Because we have to, we have to really take hold of what this gospel means to us and understand that it could mean that much to somebody else. And I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's the, the, the core of what a disciple is. It's the core of what a follower of Christ is, is delivering that message to other people. Privatized Christianity is killing the gospel today. It's killing it. I have the saving power of Christ, and that's all I'm worried about. Me and my family are saved. That's all I care about. It's selfish. In closing, I want to close with this. Many churches around us and all over the world have missionaries. They support, but really don't know very much. They just know what they do, and they support them. We have a blessing at our church that we have missionaries that are very close to us. Many of us, they're family. Many of us, they're friends. And to all of us, they're brother and sister in Christ. Chris and Rose are the perfect example of the beautiful feet which Paul is talking about in verse 15. We have been blessed with such a powerful tool with two individuals that have given up everything given up their family, given up their house, their truck, Chris's crotch rocket. He's given up everything in order to proclaim the name of the gospel in Peru. And what's amazing is that their time's almost up. Their time's almost up. In April, they'll be done. Their term is up. And uh, we have an opportunity. Have an opportunity. These these individuals, you know, very very likely could end up right back here, right back here in our area. And my thing is, if we have a tool, we have people, we have a family that is so mission oriented, that have have experience, that can speak multiple languages we have an opportunity to take hold of this tool and use it to make missions our mission this is our chance as Providence Mennonite Church to get back to the roots of where we began our church I I wasn't there obviously in the beginning of our church but I've heard from so many people that we were built Providence was built on the west side of Washington as a missions church. We've done a good job. We've done a good job. I think we've still failed in very, very, very many opportunities. And now we have a chance where we've got people coming back that we can use. And my question to you is, are, what, what can we do to support them. What can we do to help join them in the mission calling that God has put in their lives, that God has put on all of our lives?